1: this is the book riot podcast a weekly news and talk show about what's new cool and worth talking about in the world of books and reading this is episode 247 we're recording on monday february 12th i'm rebecca shinsky here with jeff o'neill and we're coming to you from bookriot.com
0: word it's a it's a it's a weird i don't know that we've ever recorded it this time Nine yeah, o'clock, nine probably, o'clock Pacific on a Monday. We're out of sorts. I think we'd it's say. probably
1: happened once at the in the grand tradition of two hundred and forty-seven <laughs> episodes. Most right. most weird scheduling things have happened yeah. once, but it does feel strange. I'm in the middle of my Monday. I like got into mm. work and digging through stuff, and now we're doing this. You're just getting started. It's this you know, is a just weird to drop the
0: kids off on the Monday. We were traveling last week. We were in L.A. for some business business fingers stuff going on in L.A. <laughs> so we didn't record fingers. last week. <laughs>
1: We, we rode some scooters, and we and then we then
0: we rode some scooters, and we we came back into a uh, maelstrom a little bit in the book world, uh, which we'll get to here in a minute, which we'll talk about. And I think I I'm I'm double thrown a loop, so I'm out of schedule. But then also, this is a difficult one for us to talk about. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the Me Too related mm-hmm. stuff, uh, which you'll hear about in a minute, probably a lot of you who listen to the show may have already heard about it at this point. But let's do our first sponsor, Alcrate. I've t- we've talked about Alcrate before here's what it is it's a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door each box will contain one brand new hardcover young adult novel as well a whole bunch of bookish keepsakes to help set the mood for your literary adventure every box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind and also includes special goodies right from the author alcrate also has a brand new box for younger bookworms it's called Alcrate Junior and it's perfect for readers aged 8 to 12 or anyone else that is eight to 12 at heart, or sometimes is. I don't know how this works. They say young at heart. Like maybe you could, you have a, you have a switch you can flip to be young at heart for a little bit. Anyway, that's Alcrate. You can go check them out. Lots of the items included in the box are handmade from small businesses like Etsy sellers, for example. So a lot of them you can't get anywhere else. That makes them exclusive. Different theme each month. Sometimes they even have their own cover designs, which makes them even more special. At least one of the three to five goodies included in each Alcrate Jr. box, that's the one for eight to 12-year-olds, uh, is a usable activity to encourage creativity, imagination, and exploration. So that's Alcrate and Alcrate Jr. Thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of the Book Ride podcast. Let's do follow-up. All right, Somehow this so is we... not as bad follow-up as our, our yeah. lead story. Even though it's bad, it's, right? I mean, it, the, I don't it know. is.
1: This is a turtles all the way down situation, yeah. but it's like separate piles of turtles. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Uh, we talked last week about the Staunch Book Prize, which has been established to honor thriller novels that don't contain violence towards women. Uh, and sort of offline, I was talking with Jamie Canavese, who is a contributing editor for Book Riot. She writes our Unusual Suspects newsletter that goes out a couple of times each week about what's going on in the world of mysteries and thrill and I was sort of wondering aloud with her what this looks like what uh, in practice in reading so she took some of the questions that we asked on the show last week Um, she went into the New York Times fiction bestsellers of 2017 list um, is the first place that she started to crunch some numbers about like how many books from last year would have been eligible for the staunch prize how many thrillers there were 53 fiction books on the list. Um, and once she boiled them down to only thrillers, she had 25. So, like, I think that number by itself is just interesting outside of these statistics or outside of the point of these statistics. But 25 of the 53 best selling fiction works last year were thrillers. Um, and three of those were repeats. So basically, she had 22 books on her list of um, best selling thrillers of 2017. She then checked the summaries, just the summaries available in the jacket copy or on Amazon to see how many listed violence towards women. And so this count does not include like the surprise violence towards women that just happens on the page mm. and is not mentioned. But um, of those 22, 13 books had listed in their summary violence towards women. So that's this is a small sample size, but it's 59% of the thrillers that topped the weekly New York Times bestseller fiction list had violence against women in the summaries of the book. Um, Since she was already counting and that was a small sample, she then randomly picked 20 thrillers from 2017 that either had heavy marketing or were very popular like um, Bonfire by Kristen Ritter and Final Girls by Riley Sager. Out of those 20 that she had randomly selected, 11 had violence against women and girls in the summary. That's 55% of that sample. Um, So when I was... You know, guessing last week that um, in the top 20, more than half would have violence against women. I was, I'm sadly, I'm sad to report correct. Um, she, Jamie just dives, you know, sort of deeper down into some stats that she gathered um, from her own look at reading and at some of the bestseller lists. But uh, the problem is about as widespread in thrillers as we thought it was, at least in her samples. Um, I'd love to see. A larger collection of data about this Um, but it certainly goes to what we were talking about last week of like it's so violence against women is such a staple of thriller writing that it's not only difficult to think of examples where it's neither in the summary nor on the page um, that the number of books that will be eligible for this prize, or at least number of like mm-hmm. popular best-selling titles that will be eligible um for this prize is gonna be gonna be pretty small this first year.
0: Long insider's chat um mm-hmm. about uh how we covered the staunch prize last week. Um and I think I- I'm guilty of a little bit too of of niggling about details. I think the the work of the prize has already been done for me insofar as Showing how ingrained and mesh other words that have a prefix within "in" in it, <laughs> um, <laughs> that violence against women is in the th- especially the thriller genre. We got into some debate about the difference between mystery and the thriller, and so on and so forth. But I think the larger point is made um, extremely well by just th- what this kind of thinking, co- cognitive prompt, I guess you would call it. Um, this prize has, has elicited and whether or not you know fighting or arguing or being wondering about whether or not this particular act counts as violence against women as they, as they define it is immaterial to me, which book wins the prize is sort of immaterial <laughs> to me, but the thought experiment of what would be eligible, and then doing some of the work of thinking about is this it, is this it? Because like, one of the things that came out of the discussion for me, I thought opened my eyes, was like, you know, <clears throat> some ways, especially in popular culture, almost all violence against women that's represented is is sexualized. Um, in some way, it, it's difficult to say. Is that has, does that have a sexual undertone, or, what, or that one doesn't? But that's part of the point, right? Is look at how much of it mm-hmm. is about sex. Look at how much of it is about. Um, Oppression, look how objectification and things like that. So I, you know, when I don't know if I had seen it after we talked about this prize or shortly thereafter, but um, Michelle and I watched Atomic Blonde mm. uh, recently, mm-hmm. and it's a classic thriller. Um, in in so far as you know, it's spies and things happening and trying to save people from bad things happening, where Charlize Theron plays the the main character, um, who is a super spy, Jason Bourne type of you know whatever you know, black ops badass um, person. And while she gets beaten up and is in fights, it doesn't. It isn't sexualized, as far as I, from my, from my tender, naive dude eyes, it doesn't look that way to me. And it it gave me examples like how rare that kind of a movie is uh, to Mm -hmm. see a woman in the lead and also have, you know, uh, be presented. Because you could switch out, you know, Matt Damon as Jason Bourne and Mm -hmm. and change the words a little bit, but the plot would be the same. Like, there wouldn't be a lot that you'd have to change, which I think is kind of what we were talking about last time. Like, if you swapped out Jack Reacher for Joan Reacher, would it would it be that different? And why isn't it? Why aren't there more Joan Reachers? And I think that's the part, the part I'm really taking away from this discussion of the staunch prize. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, I didn't even know I was in the forest, but look at all these trees. <laughs> look at them all around here. Um, so that's where I come down on them.
1: Yeah, I think the Jack Reacher, Joan Reacher question is a really interesting one there. And when we think about, or at least when I think about, the big thrillers with female leads in books in the last several years, like the the biggest one is the Steve Larson books, um, and those mm-hmm. that, that I believe it's the first one very famously has a very difficult rape scene. Yeah, and Lizbeth does like she doesn't just uh, get yeah. to kick ass, you know?
0: No, nope. um, no, she doesn't
1: terrible things happen to her and there's a little bit of she's tough because these terrible things have happened to her which that's a problem in fiction Um, I remember several years ago I think it was in the second book of the passage whatever that one was the Justin Cronin series Mm -hmm. um, that having a discussion with some friends that like the female leads in these books were so interesting but then there's a moment where rape is used as the sort of catalyst for the woman becoming tougher and stronger and that as a plot device I think really needs needs to go. Um, But it's Mm. one of the things that we don't see. Like, we don't even get the lady version of Robert Langdon, you know?
0: (laughs) I know, right. Um, Well, I think in the insider slack, you know, um, John Krasinski or whatever, they're rebooting him as Jack Ryan for an Amazon seller, Jack Ryan being the Tom Clancy's, you know, I think most frequent protagonist, at least. I'm like, I'm not interested in that, but I would be interested in Jane Ryan. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you could do a hunt for Red October with a woman and be interesting, and and without changing too much about the plot, just because it is so different. Um, But yeah, anyway, I think that's. I think Jamie's thumbnail overview is probably not. Precise, but I think it's probably accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my favorite <laughs> distinctions, right? I think that's a it's a representative. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if someone went on a more thoroughgoing um, study or survey and came up with the results that would be largely different than that. Do you, you, I mean, do you agree?
1: Yeah, I do agree. I think it's important to note that she's looking at a small sample size, but in this case, I think her sample size is probably pretty representative of what's happening out there in the world of thrillers. Mm. And if, if somehow it's not like if it turns out that, Oh, actually only 12% of all thrillers have violence against women, then, then the fact that most of the popular ones yeah, have yeah, violence right. against women is even more of a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I or could be even more of a problem or a different problem or something, but still, um, the, the sample she did alone says mm-hmm. something's wrong. Yeah. It could be more so, or less wrong, I guess, or differently wrong than that, but it certainly it's indicative it of some Yeah. Property. So
1: we'll have a link to that in the show notes. She wrote it up for us on Book Riot last week, and you can dive in. Um, no. There's some interesting comments there and talk to her um, and other readers on that one.
0: Um, well, let's do this next one. Okay. Um, we're not going to have a whole lot to say about it for reasons I think we should probably talk about just because that's part of the story is how difficult these things are to talk about. Um but Anne Ursu, do you know how to say her last name? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, Ersu. Ursu. It's mm-hmm. U-R-S-U, um, who writes fantasy for, for young readers, um, wrote a piece on Medium. Uh, well, basically summarizing and contextualizing a survey she did that was inspired by something our own Kelly Jensen did for, for librarians, which was ask about uh, an open survey asking librarians about their own experience of sexual ha- harassment in the workplace, in the library from patrons, um, it was a difficult and an important work, uh, piece that Kelly wrote, um, and Anne. I don't. I think she says she's either directly inspired by it or or used it as a model for her own
1: mm-hmm.
0: investigation. Here, um, had an open submissions for pe- for people working in children's literature to submit their stories. Um, And she wrote a piece on Medium, put a link in the show notes, that doesn't name names but talks about, you know, very specific instances with direct quotations. Um, She said she had over 90 responses in the survey itself and then emails and DMs privately that people didn't want to make, quote-unquote, official. Um, There's a a big cloud of uncertainty about how to do these things that we're still working on. And so that, you know, she's getting a cloud of responses. Some people saying, I don't want to... Be part of the survey officially, but here's something to know or something else. but a lot of responses and she wrote and that piece is certainly worth reading mm-hmm. um of in its own terms and then that piece is big enough, but then a secondary piece uh school library journal wrote basically a a wrap up post about this piece, and in the comments to that piece, people started saying that was my story, and this is the person that I was talking about, mm. and there are names you know. There are names we know. Mm -hmm. There are names we love. Yeah. Uh, Especially one name that we love in those pieces. Um, There are names of people who have had their books made into giant movies that have won awards, that have been lauded, Um, and I guess... We were talking for a few minutes before the show about how we wanted to handle this. I think what we're going to do is put a link in the show notes if you want to go see it's tricky because we don't we're in the early days of how to to do this um does some does an anonymous comment in a blog post on school library journal that's not the same as someone writing their own story right and and saying it with their name attached. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying it's different mm-hmm. and we want to err on the side for the moment of pointing you towards the information we're talking about without really amplifying stories we don't really know what's going on with, um, uh, you know, and, and let people point you to the story and see the evidence for you. Um, also, we don't want to dwell on these particular things because it is very difficult to talk about, um, but there will be link in the show notes there. And I think you said it best as we were sort of gearing up to talk about it. It's like, we're not special. This is books because it feels personal, is what you said. Mm-hmm. But it's no one should be surprised that this industry has the problems, it has a lot of the same. I mean, it has dudes in it. It has power differentials and there you go. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. Those are the two ingredients you need uh, for this to happen.
1: Yeah. That's the thing I was, Bob was texting me about this just before we started the show and he was like, you know, are you upset? I was like, you know, we knew it was coming. Like we've known this was coming for a couple of reasons. One is that we know some of the stories. Um, There are some names that like people are sitting around waiting to see those names get Named, Mm -hmm. but it's publishing is just a small slice of the world, you know. Like, this is the same gross, harmful behavior um, that we saw in Hollywood and that we're going to see people discuss more and more in publishing. The food world has it, you know, Um, the music industry has it. Any industry you can think of has this, and when that's the pond that you swim in, it does feel really personal, but like, this is the water everywhere. Um, And that's what the movement is about. It is sobering to see names named of people whose work has been very meaningful. Uh, I know you and I were having a moment about (laughs) that right before, right before the show, um, and it's that's going to be part of it. We're all going to have to wrestle, I think, individually with um, these are going to be big and recurring questions of what do you yeah. what do you do about art that you love when you know this kind of information about the person who creates the art? And we've had versions of this conversation before with other you know big authors, but those seem to those felt like they were contained in capsule moments, you know, of like oh we just know mm-hmm. this one like this one big author it turns out behaves in a real. Homophobic manner. So, what do we do about this? Or this one big author said a gross thing about, yeah. um, you know, about this one thing. And but this is a this is a big. This is, is going to be a long list. It's going to be a big look. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not only privately wrestling with it, but wrestling with it as a as a group of editors at Bookerhead about what to do with what to do with this information now that we have it um, in terms of responsibility to. Our readers in terms of how does this affect coverage i think it's safe to say it will have some effect on which books we cover and how but we don't know we don't know yet how we're going to talk about it um especially like ann's piece on medium is all blind items where people um, where Mm. she's pulling quotes from people about their experiences but there aren't you know, there aren't names named. Um, Does a comment on a blog where someone says, this is me and this is who did it. um, Does that change things? Do these need to be Mm -hmm. big investigative pieces um, with, before we, we do something. And I, I think you can hear, like I'm tangled up in knots about what the best thing to do is, or the the best way to serve our readers and our listeners and to be true to the people that trust us to talk to them about what books Mm -hmm. we're reading. Like the, I don't think we talk about it on the show much, but the responsibility, like the, the gift that our community gives us of letting us talk to them about functionally what ideas to put into their brains. Um, is, right, like, yeah. It's really like that. that's what we're doing when we're talking about literature. And mm-hmm. the fact that people come here to the site and to the shows and they trust us to do that is an enormous responsibility that we take so seriously. And... It's like, this is weighing heavily for, for that reason. You know, it's not surprising, but it is, Mm -hmm. it is personal in the sense that now we have, now we have extra work to do. Now we have to come up with some answers Um, and to try to do as right by the people who make up our community as we can. It's, um, it's gonna, it's, man, it's just gonna be really messy for a while.
0: And I think it's one of those situations too, where in five years' time, when we're on episode five hundred and eleven, God willing, you know, um, (laughs) we're going to look back and maybe how we handled this and thought we, you know, we've come to learn that we should have not mentioned an anonymous comment at all, or we should have said that 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 is a smoking gun, but that's enough. We just don't Mm -hmm. know where we are right now. And I think one thing, um, even the most well-intentioned among us, are having trouble with is like, are all signals equally? Like there's a lot of signals coming in of various strengths and across various mediums and various channels, and how to deal with that incoming information and how to give it weight. I mean, there's I guess we now have a full spectrum of the Weinstein level mm-hmm. investigative sort of beyond reasonable doubt, specific people coming forward with specifics of their stories, like multiple like that's that's one end of the spectrum, and the other end of the spectrum is someone saying an anonymous comment on a post. This person harassed me. Mm-hmm. And that's about... I think that's about as weak. And then there's the whisper network. Actually, I think is a separate thing. Um, we, were, we were talking about that in the Slack channel today internally. Like, how do we deal with whisper network stuff where someone heard that someone heard? I think that actually falls outside for the... And I could be wrong about this in the fullness of time. I'm perfectly willing to, to imagine that. But there's the whisper network is a whisper network for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe should be there for now. But like once something is in the public domain, you know, on the internet you have to decide how to do with it. And you have right. to decide either to ignore it or not to ignore it. And there's a lot of ways to not ignore things. Um, and I'm struggling with it. And I think this name on this particular one, and if you go look at it, you'll know who, it, who I'm talking about, uh, I think, um, if you've listened to the show, is the first time I find myself getting getting ready to do gymnastics mm-hmm. about explaining it away. Um, I, I just want to put that out there because um, I'm having trouble with it and I want it to not to be true, but... <clears throat> It probably is, I don't know, but it was the first time I did find myself. I've I've been myself pretty, I think, like, kind of believe her, like, really in that mode. But this, because it's personal and it's all that, it really was the first time that I, I found my, whatever that other demon in my soul is like, but, what if? Yeah and i don't i think maybe what i'm going to try to do now is just listen and try not to do judgment and like look with eyes open and and learn but like this is the first time i really felt like i had to step back and be like you are covering even in that momentary moment mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. but it's just that and I don't know. Maybe it will be. Maybe that is the right response, but it might also not be. Um, I'm just not sure. I, I'm struggling too to be to be really. clear. Yeah, it. I'm struggling with what to do.
1: It's really. I think it's really hard. I was listening to yesterday afternoon. I was like having a Sunday afternoon. I was cooking a big meal. I was listening to Bruno Mars in my kitchen, and we were talking about this stuff because this is what we're talking about now, you know. And I yeah. was like I was looking at Bob, and I was like, you know, if it turns out that Bruno Mars is a creep, like mm-hmm. I am going to have yeah. a huge problem, and I could. Mm-hmm. Feel I feel like that, that was, um, you know, we were talking before the show about this particular author and like, I, I believe that I can see how this would happen. Like I can see how he would, how that would be something that's of course yeah yeah, that's
0: a thing right that's possible
1: that's possible from him but if it were like i would be tempted to do those gymnastics i think that's part of the human response to it and that's part of why Mm -hmm. it's so hard is you know like there's been for a long time this call to like separate the art from the artist and i think what we're seeing here is that if you want to make a social movement that that goes to the core of the problem and eradicates the problem, you can't separate the art
0: from the artist, you know,
1: because then you just keep the, then people are continued to allow, they're continually allowed to be successful and have attention and the trust of other people coming into the industry who don't know the stories about them yet, whatever Mm. the industry is. Um, and the moment that we're in now is, If you're going to get rid of the problem, you have to pull it up from the root. And that means that... Uh, And like, I hate that this is true. I hate that I'm not going to watch the next season of Master of None. You know, like that's, it's excellent TV. I have loved Aziz Ansari's work. I cannot do it um, without being complicit and allowing him to to be successful after the kind Mm -hmm. of story that was told about him and his behavior. And that sucks. Like, I think that we just have to say, it sucks. It sucks that we're not going to get to read books by people that we've loved before. It sucks that I might have to change which music I listen to. It sucks that I can't watch a television show that has meant a lot to me that I thought was beautifully written and so smart and interesting. That sucks. That's taking something from me, but that's a pretty small sacrifice in service of removing people, largely men from positions that they have abused to get into those spots in the first place.
0: You know, it's not unlike, I think, in metaphor, as anyone who listens to this show knows, it's like, it's not unlike going through chemo when you have cancer. Mm -hmm. Like, the chemo sucks, but the thing that's worse is the cancer. And you do it knowing, and hopefully it won't be forever, that this is a particular moment in time in which the rules of the game about how we think about culture and what we allow people to do um, in private and then not have consequences in public, shifting the understanding of what is and isn't appropriate behavior publicly, um, attaching consequences to behavior. But maybe we don't have to do this, you know, we, we'll have to be vigilant, right? But maybe it won't be this bad. We won't have to do a, a, a full sudden accounting of behaviors that weren't being, people weren't being held accountable for. Mm-hmm. So maybe it will get better from here. But you're right, the, the, in, in, in the process, our hair is going to fall out, yeah. and we're going to get sick. And, you know, we're going to lose some weight and we're not going to feel good. But hopefully on the other end of this, the product will be a healthier um, ecosystem for culture and the world and for women to live in. Because um, this isn't our fault either. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, right. it's not our fault that we don't, have to, we don't get to watch Master of None without uh, – w- or, you know, whatever we think about Because even the gymnastics I was doing about this author, I knew that I probably wouldn't read another book by them. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't—my brain won't let me, like, do that kind of deniability. I maybe want to be like, well, but—but I would never—I can't feel the same way about it. And maybe that's unfair. I mean, I don't know. In in the fullness of time, there might be a different standard for, you know, someone's reputation taking a hit. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's very difficult on both sides to know. But for now, I think we're in this moment of we have to be open to what people are saying— Um, and that's that, if we're going to make mistakes, that's the side to make
1: Mm it on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, I think you're right there that this is its own kind of moment. I don't think it will be this way. I mean, I hope it's not this way forever. Um, but I find myself looking at my bookshelves wondering, you yeah. know, like which, which one's going to come off next. Um, and I would like mm-hmm. to like, let's just rip the band-aid off. You know, this is, <laughs> right. it's gonna, yeah. this part is just going to be awful. Um, but in, if in five or 10 or 15, years when we've done the work, I can look at my bookshelf and be, and have a better feeling, you know, that like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm not worried. I'm not worried that I'm going to get punched in the face by a yeah. surprise about the people who have done this work because we've changed some things in our industry where if if these behaviors are known about you, you don't get the platform. Um, and that like that would be a relief and a better service i think um or where if someone comes forward they're able to just talk about it like some of this too is how messy and new it is as you were saying yes. that um we don't we don't know like how this is all going to work yet in terms like it starts with blind items and anonymous surveys and then it and then eventually names do get named um i've been watching this in the yoga industry and there it's a little Mm. bit ahead of where publishing is um for this movement but one of the things that i saw was um rachel brathen who's a famous in like famous yoga person owns a studio got famous on instagram um has a podcast she told some me too stories just about her own life that didn't even have anything to do with yoga and she got got like 300 emails, 300 and some odd emails from people telling their stories that were about the yoga industry. And Hmm. they clumped around um, well-known and sometimes famous teachers. And I assume with the guidance of her attorneys, the thing that she did was publish something that was very similar to what Anne Ursu's piece was with, you know, summaries and anonymous items. And they took out names and said instead like a very famous teacher who invented his own style of practice, that kind of thing. But what she did privately was link all the women together who had all told stories about one guy, hooked them up together Mm. and was like, if you want to, if you want to get together and go to the media about this one guy, now you all have each other's contact information. If you want to get together and go to um, pursue legal action about this one person, now you're all working together. Um, And I think we may, like the combination of these stories coming out publicly and how powerful the network behind the scenes yeah. of women is in publishing. I think that we may start to see some of those um, things happen. Like the groupings together of people who have had experiences with the same author say, or with the same agent mm-hmm. or with the same publisher. And um, that seems to me to be the next step. Um, but we're not, we're like, it's still so new. It feels like we've been hearing these gross stories yeah. forever now, but it's still so new.
0: Yeah and one thing that hasn't maybe it has been talked about and I just haven't seen it because I have to admit I am also looking at these stories like kind of like you watch a horror movie through mm. your fingers like I look at yeah, it, like, not, yeah. I do a little bit of that but like also how much the technology has allowed the that kind of connection mm-hmm. and the Consolidation and cohering of a group of stories by DM and Twitter—you can find people's contact information. Right. You can find their email address. You know, you can you can link people with des- over time and space in a way that would have been that would have been the purview only of like investigative journalists mm-hmm. and like DAs right. twenty years ago. Um, that you know, people like Anne who you know, is in an interest party, but she's not a journalist. You know, she, she has an idea. She has tools that are available that can get a bunch of people to talk to her and they're willing to talk to her because of the cultural moment. But if this is 30 years ago, if she's writing letters, like it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, which I think is a fascinating other piece of this that I think has accelerated the conversation mm-hmm. and the awareness. And well, not even the awareness, but like the, the public conversation, the public awareness bringing into the public domain is something we talk about is that those stories can be brought together. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, this is how we're choosing to deal with it. I like to hear from our listeners um, uh, whatever you want to tell us, um, if you thought we could handle this better, um, things you'd like us to address, things you'd like to hear us talk about because you're wondering about how to think about them. We will not have answers, but we can talk at you about the <laughs> podcast at bookriot.com. Um, I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk <sighs> about this one. Um, but yeah, again, the show the in the show notes we'll have the link to both Anne's piece, which you should read, and then the school library journal piece that has the the comments, which are heartbreaking. Um, the really whole thing are. is heartbreaking, but there's something about the comments in the school library journal piece. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Let's do our next sponsor, and you know we're not going to we're not gonna, we're going to have a shortest show today, um, but that's our A block. <laughs> I, I say I, I, it's the A block of the world for the moment, but it's certainly our A block.
1: For the uh, show. Yeah. So, no good way to transition. So there's we'll no segue. Do I
0: don't know how you do this. Yeah. There's
1: just <laughs> our next sponsor this week is American Panda by Gloria Chow. This is from Simon and Schuster Children's Publishing. Uh, at 17, May should be in high school, but skipping fourth grade was part of her parents' master plan, so now she is a freshman at MIT on track to fulfill the rest of this predetermined future, become a doctor, marry a pre-approved Taiwanese Ivy leaguer, and produce a litter of babies. With everything her parents have sacrificed to make her cushy life a reality, though, May can't bring herself to tell them the truth, that she hates germs, falls asleep in biology lectures, and has a crush on her classmate, Darren Takahashi, who is a dis- decidedly not Taiwanese Uh, so you've got a 17 year old here who she she should be in high school but she's already like on this trajectory that her parents have set for her for the the rest of her life Um, and what to do about the fact that she is not the person her parents have tried to shape her into being and point her in that direction it's a sweet and funny debut uh, from author Gloria Chow, about following your own path, even if your parents have other plans. So that's called American Panda. It's by Gloria Chow, C-H-A-O. Um, you can find it wherever books are sold or click a link in the show notes.
0: Let's go back to a, a white-hot center of the interest of this show, Scribd. Yes. We, we've been talking about Scribd. You know, Every now and again, they'll, they'll do something that's worth talking about. I think one of the reasons we are interested in it because – it feels like something that should exist, but it's really hard to get exist. Which is some kind of net, you know Netflix for books. You know why not? It makes a lot of sense. It has a lot of the same consumption models, so on and so forth. Um, the next, the next chapter in the Scribd saga is that they are now returning to their original terms. Which means beginning February six, so that's what six days ago. Scribd will get, again offer readers access to an unlimited number of books and audiobooks for eight ninety nine per month. That can't be. That there's some. That sentence was written incorrectly. There are a limited number of books and audiobooks available in Scribd. You can't get everything, mm-hmm. but what is there, you can read to your heart's delight. Right? That's your understanding of what this is. <laughs> I like, certainly can't be unlimited number of books. Am I? Am I just being weird about that, or is that sentence really screwed up? It's
1: a weird. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a weird sentence, but it like so. Scribd doesn't have every dish in the world on the table, but everything that's on the table, you can eat as much right. of it as you want for $8.99 a month.
0: Netflix like style, right? Whatever's on the streaming yep. thing, you can watch to your, to your heart's delight, though they don't have everything. Um, so Scribd, co-founder and CEO, Chip Adler, I'm reading from a Publishers Weekly story, which will be in the show notes. Uh, so the services reach a level of profitability and stability that allows it to return to its original business model. According to Adler, we probably want to pause on these stats for a moment uh, Scrib generated more than $50 million in revenue in 2017 and has over 700,000 paid subscriber. Hmm. Adler said that subscribers are going by 50% each year. Now, um, that's a big number, big revenue number. We also know that Scrib's only business, this is not their only business. They do document sharing, blah, blah, blah. This isn't broken out by just this book reading subscription do you actually know if you if you sign up for scribd you get the whole you get all the sheet music and you get all the public documents and all that other stuff they have i haven't looked at it in a while um but their business they have they started out as a document storage and sharing company we could put up whatever a pdf and they'd serve ads and you could share things that way and make it publicly available um but they abandoned its unlimited access model um back in 2015 because people are reading too much, especially romance titles. Uh, They're like, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't work. Um, So we inferred from that that their business model is somewhat different than Netflix's insofar as I think Netflix's streaming business model is they pay a flat fee for the content. Mm -hmm. And so they don't pay per access. um, Where it sounds like Scribd, it matters how many times a particular document is accessed. So that, you know, someone reads a whole bunch, that person costs them much more than the normal person would or the average reader or the median reader or whatever, you know, statistical term matters to them. They do, though, have in place some throttling for, they say, that basically, the some trigger will kick in if it detects, quote-unquote, o- overconsumption, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's hard to, i think that's <laughs> weird to <laughs> yeah. s- call it that, but I understand what they're doing. Um, if this— I guess if this is the only way they can do it, it makes sense. Yeah, it says On the other hand, Scribd it sucks monitors' doing it reading this
1: rates, they can detect whether overconsumption is occurring. And if it is, new controls will kick in to limit power readers' access to the most expensive and popular titles. Yeah. So... So I mean, you can still I get, get your
0: unlimited breadsticks and salad, but you can't get a whole bunch more lasagna to use all right. Of your <laughs> for you.
1: Right, which it's this is it's tricky still because your power, the power reader is presumably the reader that you want for this, but that's not actually true. That's not actually the customer that you want you for don't. No, a you service don't. like this. I wonder why there aren't tiers. Like it, there must be a reason. I hope that there's a reason that it's not like it rather than controls kicking in, what if they could shoot you a message and be like, hey, it turns out that you're a velosa reader and we can you know for another like 2.99 a month or whatever you can keep going the way you're going um or you can stay where you are and these are the controls that are going to kick in for you
0: you know what my guess about that is i get i think it's like that guess about how most people vote against higher estate taxes, mm. even though most of them will never have more than 50. It's like aspirational, right? right? Like you sign up for Scribd, you want unlimited reading. You don't want to pick like, I'm the I'm the the bad reader. Give me the bad reader price. <laughs> right. Everyone wants the unlimited. You know what I mean? That's like true. I think there's, even if I don't use it all, I, it's kind of like how I'm with my phone plan. I probably mm. am not going to use 12 gigs of data every month. But if I just sign up for the unlimited the one, I pay a few bucks more. I don't have to worry about it. I can just right. do whatever I want. Um, I, I'm guessing simplicity, choice, architecture for their subscription thing. But you're right. In in a, in a completely sort of efficient way, you would charge, I don't know, the the Velocir readers, You would charge them five extra bucks, or maybe there is no tier mm-hmm. for the romance reader, like a hundred dollars a month because they read forty books. Like uh, I have no <laughs> idea what it might be, but I think that's I think you're right. That's interesting. I'd love to know what what percent mm-hmm. is causing them a problem, um, or you know, it would uh, be, be interesting, interesting to, to
1: see like. one of the major romance imprints, like now that Harper Collins owns Harlequin and Harper Collins has Avon and that's a huge romance imprint. If they, and and a couple of other ones, like if Harper Collins just launched an unlimited romance reading app, um, what that would look like. Cause I think for how diehard romance readers are and how voraciously they do consume books, you could do something that's like maybe double the price point of Scribd and still, bring in some money from your diehard romance readers. Like if it were unlimited access to romance books for 20 bucks a month, you know, that's less than four mass market paperbacks. Um, it would be really interesting to see. Yeah, I don't it.
0: know. I, I, I'm wondering if there isn't no, my sense might be that it's not worth it to Harper Collins to do that. Yeah. Um, that there is no model that would make sense for that kind of reader. But I could, I could be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, but most subscription services like this, that, that sort of basically the cost increase with every use, rely upon the people that don't use it. Those are the bread and butter, right? The people who sign up and read one book or don't read any and don't cancel or think, I'll use that. Like the gym membership thing, right? The, the gym membership is really predicated upon the people that don't ever go. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that go, if everyone went, they'd go out of business. Uh, or they'd have to charge a whole bunch more. But forget to the, the rank and file person to subscribe, they have to make the value proposition look good, and then most people won't do. That. I what I'm curious about here is if you're growing subscribers 50 percent year over year, why screw with it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it. There's a little, you know, this is like classic PR tech stuff. Like, there's mixed messaging. Things are going so well, is that we're altering our value proposition. <laughs> like, that's, that seems to me to be a contradiction of some kind. So, I don't know what they're, maybe this they can figure it out and they still think they can accelerate their growth. But if I were them and I were going 50% year over year and I didn't have to do this throttling unlimited, certainly their cost per user will go up, I would think, mm-hmm. because people are going to be doing more. They must think that must be countermanded by the number of people who will. Respond more favorably to a messaging of unlimited books and e reading rather than this credit. You know, we talked about the, the awkwardness of that system they had in place before, where the premium titles, you have to use your credit. You can only get one steak, but you can get all the french fries you want kind of that thing. Um, they're, they're responding to something, and I don't know what it is. My, my personal um, idiosyncratic uh, worldview of one data point is for me, Libby destroys the script value proposition mm-hmm. for me personally. Just it's so easy to get audiobooks. Everything's there. I have to wait sometimes, but everything is there, and all the ebooks are there. I just have to wait sometimes, and it's free, and it's integrated, and it's beautiful. Like I don't know. I, w- I just wonder if they're, this is a little preemptive seeing something like Libby, which is a great, very competitive, free product where you actually do have unlimited reading to unlimited number of books, right? Because your library system basically has anything script could offer, mm-hmm. plus you could go get the physical books if you wanted outside of that. If I were script I'd be terrified of a good product like Libby. Yeah, that's I think me. that
1: that's what this is pointing to. If I had to put if I had to put money on it, that's what yeah. I would guess they're doing here. Like, the Scribd model, when they had to modify things after the original all-you-can-eat model, and they were trying to figure stuff out, it got a little confusing. Like, you can read these things, yeah. and you can do these audiobooks, but there are credits, and this is how it works, and then you could buy extra stuff. Like, the, the waters did get, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. the waters got muddied there for a little while, and so I can see... Some appeal from the PR side of things and maybe trying to, you know, retain original users that have hung with you through these changes and yeah. also make your model just cleaner and clearer and easier to explain wanting to go back to this model. But I do think that probably the core of it is that when Scribd launched and and before it went Oyster Launched, we joked about how how frequently people said to us like, "Well, I've I can tell you an unlimited reading thing. It's called the library." Yeah, Um, Yeah, (laughs) but but the Libby app is beautiful and does work very well in a way that it it didn't exist a couple of years ago. And I think the that um the lack of that at the time that open space made it possible for Scribd and Oyster to try some things and to get some traction that they probably would not have been able to get if a really robust library ebook and audiobook borrowing app had existed at the time. Um, and so they they should be worried, I think rightfully so, because now it is easy. It's not a clunky process uh, to borrow ebooks and audiobooks from your public library system. And so maybe they've got folks that just don't know about Libby, or maybe they've got folks whose public library systems aren't that robust. But I think it's a lot harder to sell this notion like if Libby could also let me watch a bunch of you know back episodes of my favorite tv shows and movies that came Mm -hmm. out a year or so ago then Netflix would be in trouble
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and you can see over time that Netflix I mean if you've logged into Netflix anytime soon they have a lot of original Mm -hmm. content so much they push it you know they, they 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 pop they bubble it up because I think they do realize that content that is not exclusive is kind of a commodity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're competing on commodities, then people can do different models or undercut your pricing or whatever, whatever it could be. Um, and that's why Apple and, you know, that's all. Fo- that all goes back to the adaptation gold rush we're talking about, right? Like content is valuable, but even more valuable than content is exclusive content, is um, siloed content, is content that people have to come to you and can only come to you for. Where Scribd, they don't have, as far as I know, uh, any p- exclusive content. Even Audible, who's the 900-pound gorilla of audiobooks, is trying to get, you know, they have the exclusive Wolverine podcasting they're doing, and they're doing these exclusive, like, nar- you know, famous narrators for public domain books. So You can get Sandy Newton, I think, reading Jane Eyre or something like that. That's one I saw recently. They're trying, they're realizing that, at certain level, content is a commodity, and the publishers are commodity suppliers. Like, they'll sell to everyone as long as they pay the right price. So then what are you going to do? Um, and really for me, I mean, I think the thing that m- I'm going to take a look at script again, cause I'm curious, but the thing that would be interesting to me is can I really get the titles I want instantly? Mm-hmm. Cause th- that is the one friction point with Libby. Um, and I'm to a point and I'm, I'm lucky to be at a point where my constraint around books is not necessarily price. It's most, t- it's mostly time. Yeah. So if I have to wait three weeks for something on Libby, or it's 10 bucks to buy as a Kindle book or eleven ninety five to buy as an Audible book, I will pay that basically instant tax. For some books, not all books, but some books I will pay that instant tax. Does Scribd allow me not to pay that, or does it allow me to pay that tax in a different way that's more palatable or more interesting, or more flexible? I, that, I guess that's the thing that's interesting to me, because like audiobooks, especially on Libby, you got to wait. Um e-books seem to come up faster maybe it's because it takes people longer to get through audiobooks mm-hmm. maybe the licensing is a little bit different but audiobooks i do find my one pain point for libby right now is i want an audiobook i got to wait a few weeks which is not that bad and i'm willing to do it but i uh, there's a part of me that's kind of looking over the fence at the other grass it's like how green is that now how green yeah. is that,
1: that yeah grass,
0: my grass is green but that grass is green so I do, um that's the one place
1: i do wonder from our folks listening here if We've got any former Scribd users that have migrated over to Libby, um, what, yeah. what this change in their model might do if you use both because you like having instant access to the things that you would have to wait on for Libby. So if you guys would shoot us an email about that at podcast at bookriot.com. If your use case has changed um, since Libby became great uh, or came out and turned out to be great, you know what I mean. That would be great to hear from you. All right. You
0: know, I think we're going to call out our show today. I, th- I think, think so.
1: It's I've had a lot got of feelings. Two big stories.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got into those good. Um, we're going to break over to our. We do a monthly uh, chat with the insiders, the epic level insiders. So if you're ever interested, you can go to insiders.bookriot.com and check. Usually it's full, but um, you, if you sign up for one of the other levels, you'll get notified. But we do a monthly chat where we talk about whatever. Uh, last, last month, I think we did a bunch of things about um, where you buy your books online. Today, we're going to try not to talk about. <laughs> sexual harassment in 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 the kidlit world, though. I don't we'll, we'll probably do meta discussion. We'll talk about the talking about, yeah. um, which I think we're a little bit more comfortable with at this moment. And frankly, it's work that we're trying to figure out as well. Shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Thanks to American Panda for sponsoring this week's show. Thanks to Alcrate for sponsoring this week's show. You can find full show notes to this and other book riot podcast episodes at bookriot.com slash listen. Also, Apple Podcast. If you know, if you been thinking about it, want to rate and review our show? It's over there. You go check it out um, on Apple Podcasts. All right, Rebecca, let's go chat. Thanks so right, much have for a good your one. efforts today. Tough, tough show today. Tough
1: Whew, yeah, you too. Bye. Whew,
0: bye.